This podcast is brought to you by Sales Fuel Hire, a platform to help companies hire smarter and flag 13 toxic employee types. Measure job fit, sales tendencies and motivators, decision-making abilities and empathy levels, and make your next hire your best hire. Try it now on salesfuel.com slash hire and use promo code MANAGESMARTER for $50 off your first purchase. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop and retain talent, improve results and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Well, Lee, our guest today, uh, he's an expert in many things, including the gig economy, hiring, firing, and some philosophies about being too controlling, um, which is probably, I'm guilty of that. Um, we're very lucky to have him. Uh, Micah Rowland is here today. Hi, Micah. Hi there. Thanks for coming to the show. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith. I'm the President and CEO of SalesFuel. Well, Micah, your expertise is amazing. And, you know, uh, for everybody who hasn't met Micah, he is not your everyday builder, maybe because he doesn't build homes, cabinets, or even the software that he used to when he was an engineer. He is the chief operations officer of Fountain and builds people, teams, and processes that has taken multiple companies from 50 to 250 people, 5 million up to 30 million in revenue. Hire slow, fire fast, and stop being too controlling the topics today. And um, the website, if you want to check it out while you're listening, get.fountain.com. Micah, thank you for coming to our microphones. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for having me. You know, that, 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 that hire slow, fire fast, I used to be a big proponent of that. And, and it seems like these days you really can't afford to fire fast anymore. It's like, uh, is that just uh, my impression or, or do you have thoughts on that as well? Well, I think that saying really comes out of the technology industry and the startup culture and VC-backed company culture. So it may be that it, it just doesn't apply everywhere, but I think the core idea is if you are very thoughtful about your hiring and if you then put clear expectations around what you're hoping for from that person in place, if they're not succeeding, then you should you should get to the future that you know is coming as fast as you can and let them go. And I, I don't agree with that for a variety of reasons, but I think that the, the decision about whether or not to, to fire somebody, certainly legal situation, regulations, and so forth has a, has a lot to say about that in many, in many places. Some states or some places in the country are more difficult than others, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a management decision. So oftentimes the biggest impediment to letting somebody go is just management willingness to deal with the hole that is left in their absence and trying to cope with the challenges associated with filling that hole. Well, let's dive into that a little bit more. What are some of the other reasons why you find that that's a, a, a failed theory? I think that generally speaking, there are many factors that contribute to employee success or employee failure and under delivery. And some of those certainly are about the skill of the employee, the will of the employee, but there are many others that are not really related to that employee or in some cases are only indirectly related. So for instance, your company culture, if they're not a great for that fit for that culture, that is at least partly on the company in terms of whether or not they selected somebody who's a great fit. Secondly, and this is the one that usually is my bugbear, is the manager. If the manager is not somebody who has the experience in managing this sort of role or this type of team 
or in managing an environment like the environment they're in, that manager can often be doing less than a stellar manager might do in order to help that employee be successful. My view is always that once we hire somebody as managers, as people who are charged with directing the work of others and, and who have a really serious responsibility in terms of helping them to develop their careers, the manager's job is to make clear the expectations, then to arrange the environment and deliver whatever resources are needed for the team in order to deliver on those expectations. Obviously, it takes employees contributing on their part, but it's also a really easy way to fail if you're a manager and you and you fail in one of those other aspects or a myriad other elements of managerial leadership that are their own skill set and their own challenge in getting right and in making sure that you've you've got your craft honed. So I think the key way that that fails in in startup culture, where I've spent a lot of my time in the last decade, is in the level of experience and the breadth and types of problems that people who are in management roles face. Somebody who is early in their career as a people manager is just not going to have seen as many different scenarios and as many different types of personalities and therefore is not going to have developed a tool set that is as robust for managing those folks as somebody who may be later stage in their career and who spent more time managing people and thereby making mistakes, managing people, learning from those mistakes and learning from others around them who can coach and develop them as managers. So I think that management set of skills and the environment to coach and develop managers in startups is is one of the most difficult things for a company to develop. If you're trying to grow fast, if you're trying to hire people who could potentially make more compensation elsewhere in the market because you're being cash conscious as a startup and because you're competing with a lot of other exciting companies out there and it can be difficult to make your name and brand stand out as a potential employer. So I wonder if there's something wrong with the hiring process and a couple of the areas that, uh, like that you have a lot, of, a lot of clients that being in the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry because I just wonder if it's something that's wrong with the hiring process or, or just not being able to have a very deep pool of people that are willing to do those jobs. What's, what's your take on those two industries in specific with the uh, challenges that they face in hiring people? Well, I'd say there's definitely a little bit of both of those things going on in the macro environment that we're in with very, very low unemployment rates. We have an unemployment rate that is as low as it's been since I think 1969. And in that environment, folks have a lot of different options. So if they're applying for your job, especially if your job is something that is, that is going to be on the lower end of the wage scale, they have a lot of other, a lot of other potential places where they could be spending their time to do work. And two big areas, one is the gig economy that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. It's a big part of people's work life nowadays. And so if people feel like they can go drive for one of the ride sharing services or walk dogs with a dog walking service or any of the other many myriad gig economy companies that are out there and they feel like that is a better option for them than your job, frontline service, retail, what have you, then they're going to at least think about that. The second is just all the many ways that our economy is shifting and changing and that's giving people who are looking for these service economy jobs more opportunity to to vet more more options all the time. So the rise of online job boards makes it easier to understand what opportunities are out there for candidates 
and it makes it easier for them to apply to many jobs. It's a lower barrier to putting in an application. Therefore, people apply to many more jobs. Therefore, there are many more candidates in many jobs. And so I think all these put the onus on companies to get better at process in order to make sure that they identify the right folks for the job. They move them through the process quickly. But there are also challenges, I think, in terms of the ways that these companies are are deploying their labor. So a lot of what has happened in the economy involves the introduction of technology to business processes and to elements of work where it wasn't a big factor in the past. And for companies to be able to, to, to integrate those technolo- technologies and process the technological changes that they bring in order to make employees more productive, more successful without making their jobs too stultifying or without making their jobs too boring. That's a real challenge. And I think a lot of service economy companies, especially larger scale companies that take longer to adapt to technological change, they're having a difficult time with this because it's not always clear Mm -hmm. how you can strike the balance between introducing new technologies that are going to help you serve your customers better and help make your labor force more efficient over time and confusing your labor force. That can take a lot of energy and organizational attention. And, and I would say that in response to those challenges, that there might be this temptation to, uh, I don't know, to accelerate the process or throw process out the window entirely where it's like, you know, the old adage of, you know, if they can fog a mirror or whatever, you know, and they're willing to do your job, you hire them. Uh, yeah. What are some of the perils of that? I would say, I, I, I'm, I'm brutally aware of them, but I think that everyone needs to, needs to hear this. I think the biggest challenge is that oftentimes the people who are charged with, with designing these changes and with launching these changes are those who are farthest from the frontline employees who are going to be carrying them out. And so it's really difficult when you're a few layers removed or a few links in the organizational change removed from the front lines in your business to understand in practice what the introduction of a new technology or a new tool is going to do to the operating environment there. And so I, I think the companies that do this really well have built processes that are robust for testing and for launching new technologies and products. And those who didn't have to change a lot in the past are, are ones that struggle. And so the ways that they struggle are they come up with something that in theory is going to have some benefit for the front lines or some benefit for labor efficiency. And they spend time thinking about that strategically and they don't fully think about what the deployment is going to be like. They don't fully think about how it's going to change, change the everyday experience for the frontline workers. And so when they put it into their stores or into their facilities or into the hands of their field personnel, things turn out differently because it turns out it's harder to use or it's just so different from what people are used to in the past that it's a different, it's a, it's a difficult adaptation or change. And so it's very hard for companies to think through all those challenges because every additional bit of resources that you deploy at figuring out what it's going to seem like to the field, to the field workforce who's going to be using that technology actually makes the process take longer and cost more money. And of course, a lot of the reason why these companies are making such moves are so that they can be more nimble and so that they can save money in some place in their business. But if you shortcut the process, it's like you run the risk of, you know, if you don't do a background check on somebody or you don't verify past employment or education or something like that, 
uh, you're just opening yourself up for a lot of heartache over, right? Yeah, that's right. And the examples that you mentioned there are frankly among the easier examples to actually resolve. So if you don't do a background check on, on people, it's very easy at a company level to ensure that nobody is hired without a background check. And most companies these days take such a stance. Similarly, verification of our work history, education, and so forth. You know, there are ways to do that now, but those are the things that companies can do before somebody joins your your company. I think the much more challenging scenario is when you have somebody join the company and the skills that you thought they had are, mm-hmm. are not what they actually turn out to have because you misassessed or because they misrepresented, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so I think those challenges are the ones that actually create lots of the challenges in operating environments where it's hard to match people to the job in a way that 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 matches their willingness to work with your willingness to pay the specific skills that you need in the geography and the type of work environment where you want to hire somebody. So that, that matching challenge, I think in an economy that is, that is introducing more specialization where we have companies that are taking on specific elements of work that would have been done in house before, but you want to save money. So you're going to use a a contractor or a third party to complete that part of your business's process, all of these things, the additional specialization and focus in the economy makes the job hiring and matching process a little bit more challenging. At least I think so. Yeah. We've got a few minutes left, Micah. So I want to pivot. I know having worked in service industries myself, when you get a top-down process like that, that from the user experience and then the customer experience doesn't make sense to anyone feels very controlling and feels like a lack of control to, you know, me, the employee. So I want to talk about your philosophy on letting go of control, particularly in startups. Can you just share with our audience a little bit about your philosophy and tips on that? Sure. I was afraid for a minute you were going to ask me this question with respect to food service or retail, no, no, no. which I think are pretty different from startups. But in startups, I think, <clears throat> I think a very common fallacy amongst especially early career managers, but I think this, this often happens in many different levels within a company, is the idea that you can either just tell somebody what to do or what to achieve and that they're going to know how to achieve that, or the idea that you can tell somebody generally how you want them to get to the desired outcome and they're going to achieve that outcome, or the idea that you can tell somebody how you want to do the day-to-day job and they're going to do it that way. So I, I think the the way to think about this is companies often always deliver certain services or certain work. And it's not always obvious to the employees that that is the best way to do things. Sometimes that's because the employees leaders or managers knew those things, they would think that things ought to be done in a different way. In other cases, it's because the employees have some incentive, whether an incentive that was created intentionally and willfully or, or something that is unintentional and buried in the, in the ins and outs of the way that their job works to do things differently. In other cases, it's because of something around the organizational hierarchy and the roles and responsibilities that, that touch a given business processy, process, either they're defined poorly or they're misdefined or they, the, the gears of those process, processes sort of grind against each other as things are proceeding. And 
when the company tries to control something and the way that it works operationally without really understanding those dynamics, I think you get problems. And so for a manager, I think it requires a lot of humility and a lot of willingness to make sure that you, especially in a startup environment where things are not fully defined because you're, you're inventing this company as you go, to make sure that you don't jump in and say, this is how we're going to do things. Let's track everything this way and ensure that everybody does everything that way. Because as a manager, you just don't know how things are going to play out until you test, until you allow the creativity and the capability of all the employees in your company to be reflected in the development of the process. And so that fallacy of thinking I can control what people do in this arena is a real challenge for startups. And when you add in the earlier, the dynamic that I talked about earlier, where you have a lot of people in startups who are younger managers than you would get in a more established company, then you have a a more challenging version of that fallacy because those younger managers don't always have the ability to problem solve their way into thinking with the employees about how to set up the process, nor do they have necessarily the management chops and the sensitivity to get the team to do things in a consistent way without the team feeling, ah, this, this person is just ordering me around. I don't have any, I don't have any leeway to influence the development of the process to build this company in, in collaboration with the rest of the people involved. Well, these are just a few of the areas of expertise that Micah has. He's great about growth strategies and other leadership principles. Everybody, it's a, LinkedIn for Micah is M-I-C-A-H, and you spell Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, and it's get period fountain period com, get.fountain.com. And Micah, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We sure appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.